Thank you for tuning in. We trust that you will be blessed and refreshed as you hear this message. Okay, good morning. Wow, it's always good to meet together, at least see each other, and uh, may not be able to hug one another, but at least we'll be able to greet one another and communicate. So thank you for being here this morning. All those of you watching in your homes, a warm welcome to you. God bless you, and I pray that God will prepare your hearts as you begin to listen to this word this morning. So shall we lift up our voices and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, give you a revelation of what he wants to say. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray, Lord, that this will not be another message, but your Holy Spirit will communicate your heart to our heart. That I pray that your Holy Spirit will give us a revelation of your agenda for our lives, Lord, as a church, as a people belonging together. Anoint these words, Lord. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. This morning I'm talking about Understanding the Heart of God, part two. If you missed out on part one, it's there on our website or probably on YouTube. You can listen to part one, and this is a follow-up of part two, Understanding the Heart of God. Now, I picked two instances from the Bible that will help us understand the heart of God for his people. One thing we must realize is that God loves people, both the righteous and the unrighteous. And that must be our conviction. I noticed the songs we sang this morning. You know, we are the objects of his love. And very often we look at we as me, our other fellow believers, as the objects of his love. No, the whole world is the, objects of, uh, is the object of his love. God cares for both the righteous as well as the unrighteous. His love for the righteous and the unrighteous is the same. But somehow, because we have experienced the love of God, we tend to relate to God's love as something which is personal, and it is personal, but it's also global. It's also for the world. And this morning, we're looking at two instances that happened in the Bible. First was in the days of Noah, and the other incident was in the days of Abraham. Now, the reason why I picked these two, because Jesus himself refers to these two instances to warn us of what is going to happen before he returns. So please come with me to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 to 8. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was the state of the world. Wicked and all of man's thoughts were continually evil. Verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Now, the Bible didn't say that the whole world was filled with wickedness and God was angry. He says God was sorry. And not just sorry, his heart was pained or grieved over man's wickedness. 
And for the second time, God says that in verse 7. I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, I don't know whether you've had an in or heard of an instant where a father had a wicked son. All the son could do is dis bring uh, a disgrace and, and disharmony amongst the family. The father one day gets a so upset and pained over his son, he says, I regret the day you were born. And that's a very sad thing for a parent to say to his son. But that's how God felt for the entire world. That God saw the wickedness and the intentions of man were so wicked that God says, I'm sorry I even made you. Because what God had in mind for the human race was that we will reflect his glory and his image in everything we did. We will replica what God intended us to be created for his, his likeness and his, in his glory. But there is hope in verse 8, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of, God, of the Lord. God never forgot Noah. Genesis chapter 2, 9 says that Noah was a just man, perfect in his righteousness. Noah walked with God. And that's one thing we can be assured of. That when you live a righteous life, we catch God's attention. For that one family, God remembered Noah. God remembered him. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15, the Bible says, though a mother may forget her nursing child, God will never forget you. And as long as we walk with God, I'm not saying we walk perfectly and blamelessly before God, we all have our shortcomings, but we're living out his righteousness every day of our lives. With the grace of God, we're living the life that he's called us to live. And the Bible says, he will remember you. He will not forget you. Now, something about Noah's life. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 5 says, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And Noah would have probably warned the people, look, God is, is concerned about you. You need to repent. You need to come back to God. And there is, there is judgment awaiting. Noah would have proclaimed it. Now, he didn't just proclaim it in just words, but he proclaimed it in his actions as he built the ark. But when people's heart was hardened and ridiculed him, what did God do? He saved Noah and his family and destroyed the others. Now, when the Bible says he's going to destroy the earth, we tend to think he will do it next week. But that's not so. And I notice how people are preaching about Jesus' return and wake up in the morning and say, oh, he didn't come last night. The very fact that you stayed back, that's concerning. So when God talks about doing something, there is always a time frame. Now it took approximately 70 to 100 years for Noah to build the ark. So God told Noah he's going to destroy the, 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 the world or destroy the city because of their wickedness. 
And God told him to prepare. Now, can you imagine one family building an ark? Can you show the picture of an ark? Massive ark. That's the ark that we saw when they we were built the, the ark. The now same size. Replicated. Massive size. And we happened to go there and see how big and how many stories it had. And we walked around the entire earth. And I'm thinking to myself, one family. You know why God chose one family? Giving mankind the opportunity to turn and repent to God. And God says, let's do it slowly. Let's give the people sufficient time before disaster comes upon them. And God, as we see, is very long-suffering and patient with mankind. And so it took about 70 to 100 years. Noah not just building the ark, but warning the people, look, turn back to God. God wants you to repent and live right. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, that God in his divine long-suffering waited for people to repent while the ark was being prepared. But in the end, only eight of them were saved. That's what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. Now, when we look at Luke chapter 17, verse 26 to 27, Jesus makes reference to what happened in the days of Noah. Now, I didn't want to get through all the scriptures, but you will see a number of scriptures in the New Testament referring to that incident. And the reason why Jesus did it is because he made an example of them for us to learn a lesson from, warning us. And it says here, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. When it says in the days of the Son of Man, it's talking about Jesus' second coming, his return. As it was in the days of Noah, can you say what's the remaining? So, well, try that again. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when he returns. Now look what the Bible says in verse 17, it's 27. They ate, they drank, they married wives. We're having bands of marriage continuously. They were given into, in marriage until, can you shout the word until? Until. Now there's nothing wrong in getting married. Please get married. There's nothing wrong in eating and, and, uh, and drinking. There was nothing wrong. In those days, it was festive time. And God is not rebuking that generation for what they did in getting married, but he's saying they lived their lives as if everything was going to be okay. They lived their lives without heeding what God was saying to them through his servant Noah. Carried on life as usual. Are you listening to me this morning? You know, there's one thing that we as human beings have in common. We don't wake up until trouble comes knocking on our door. Mm, okay, you got your mask, so I can't hear you. I'll take it for granted. But I can see your head shaking. Isn't that true? Till it comes knocking. Someone else having COVID, no problem, it won't come. When it comes knocking, oh, let's put the mask. Me too. We all have that tendency. Till we face crisis ourselves, we don't wake up. 
But please hear me. This is what Jesus is saying. We cannot take life as usual. Not the church, not the world, not the wicked. Please listen to the words of Jesus. As in the days of Noah, so it will be in the day when Jesus returns. The world is not heeding to the gospel because they think the world will carry on. And very often the church believes that has the same attitude. Let's carry on with the mundane things. After all, nothing much is going to change. Until trouble started coming. Until the day he, Jesus, returns, people will have a casual attitude towards the gospel, towards God, and the idea of repentance will be foreign to many. But the Bible says that God chose Noah for a purpose because God, through his servant Noah, chose to redeem people, and that's how it was then, and that's how it is now today. God will raise up people through whom he will work in order to see mankind redeemed. And every single person that's here and listening to me, you are saved, you are born again, you had an encounter with God because God used somebody as an instrument to redeem you. Can somebody shout an amen? It's true. It may be a friend, it may be a pastor, it may be just a meeting, but God used you to save another person. And that's true too. But Noah, in that sense, could not communicate enough for people to respond with repentance. Neither did people have the heart to change. The Bible says this in Psalm 4.3, but know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. Every single one of you is set apart from God, set apart by God. The Lord will hear when I call uh, to him. And so this is what the psalmist says, God sets us apart. Can you say this after me? I'm set apart by God for himself. He didn't set you apart for yourself. He set you apart for himself. God set you apart because he called you to be the light to the Gentiles. And I know we like to worship Jesus as the light of the world. It's true he is the light of the world. But he gave his presence to you and to me. And before he ascended into heaven, he says, now I have made you the light of the earth. Say, I am the light of this world. Can you tell your neighbor? I am the light of this world. I don't want to get into it, but Jesus made reference to that. <clears throat> He says, if you're a light hiding under a bushel, what's the use of that light? Tell your neighbor, come out of the bushel. Come out of the bushel. Your bushel is your home. You're hiding there. You're burning like a bright spark in your home. It's time the world saw the light that's on the inside of you. It's time the world know, know, knew. It's time the world knew that there's a difference between you and them. 
I said, that, I say this in the conference. Sometimes the devil is confused with the believer and unbeliever. He doesn't know the difference. The devil thinks, hey, who's the unbeliever here? <clears throat> Please don't give him a hard time discerning who's the believer and unbeliever. We need to be the light of God in this world. Come on, church, shout hallelujah. We are the hope for this nation. You are the hope of the city. You are the hope of where you are living in. God's counting on us. He counted on Noah. Counts on us. As in the days of Noah, so shall it be. Oh, but people don't turn. People will be hard. God didn't hold Noah responsible for not repenting. He held Noah responsible for what he told him to do. And maybe people will not turn. Maybe people will ridicule you. But God will not hold you responsible for that. We have a mission. You see, there's an incident in the Bible where Jesus goes to a person who's demon-possessed in Mark chapter 5, verse 18. He was in chains. He was bound and tormented by the devil till Jesus came to that place and delivered him totally. He had a legion of demons. And after he was delivered completely, the Bible says he came to his right mind. And then he made his request to Jesus. And he said, can I come and follow you wherever you go? What a lovely, nice request. Can I come? And we would have thought Jesus would have said, hey, one more disciple, come, come. Join the band. But look at what Jesus said in, 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 the, in that in verse 19. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. What did Jesus say? Go home to your friends. Tell them what Jesus did for you. In the last, I'm being, I'm, I'm being very gracious. Okay? Gracious. In the last five years, who did you tell what Jesus has done for your life? You have a testimony. You have a miracle. I'm shy. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not that kind. If you were not the kind, God would not have chosen you in the first place. God set you apart for himself. Whether you are this kind or that kind, go home, go to your friends, tell them what Jesus has done in your life. And he told them, he told this man, Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. Jesus left him as a light in that town. Go. Look what happened after that. And all marveled. All marveled at his story, his testimony. He will light you on fire so that you can be, you can light other people on fire. That's the heart of God. And so God saved all of us for a purpose. He wants us to be his witnesses so that through you, people will have hope. The city, your town will have hope. 
Now, here's a verse that's mostly quoted by people who want to communicate their vision and uh, what, what they want to accomplish. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, I'm reading from the Amplified Version. It says, where there is no vision, no vision, and we interpreted vision as a dream that comes from us and says, you have a vision to build this building, I have a vision to build this business or this institute. That's not the vision that the Bible is talking about. Let's read. Where there is no vision in brackets, no redemptive revelation of God. That means no vision of God redeeming people, people perish. But he who keeps the law of God, which includes that of man, blessed, happy, fortunate, and enviable is he. Nice that version is. And I began to look at it. It's true. When we don't have a vision of a lost coming to Christ, they perish. 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 And so God wants us to have a redemptive vision. And that's what the 31st night message was about. Is having a redemption, a vision that's redeeming people so that the city, our nation, will not perish. You know, I must throw this in. We happen to speak about the people's movement on 31st night. Can you see what's happening? There's a powerful people's movement rising. And so, you know, we can hold the key for change when we rise up with a whole mo- as a movement to disciple the nations. I want us to see another incident of how Abraham responded when he heard that God was going to destroy Sodom because of their extreme wickedness. Abraham asked the Lord a question in Genesis chapter 18, verse 23. Look at the question. Would you also destroy the righteous and the wicked? What a relevant question. Would you destroy the righteous along with the wicked? And God said, he won't destroy the righteous along the wicked. And then Abraham asked in verse 24, what if there were 50 righteous people in the city? Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Fifty righteous people, God, would you be merciful and save the entire city? Is there any logic to that? Is the proportion right? Fifty people for a whole city? But look at God's heart. God's heart is a heart of love. He doesn't want to destroy. That's not his first agenda. That's his last option. And God said to Abraham, I will not destroy it. I will not destroy it. Because Abraham understood the heart of God. In verse 26, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. For whose sake? The righteous place. Look at someone and smile at them. Oh, you can't smile. Just just do thumbs up. You know what? You know what? Do you know the quality of salt? What does salt do? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What does salt do? Flavor, and the second, it preserves. Before medical science could advance, if you had a wound, they rub salt. It kills infection. 
When you have a sore throat, you do salt gargle. Uh, that you know. You see, you and I, God's righteous people, not just you and I, we, the righteous people, are a hope. The more righteous people, the less chances of God's judgment. Please, church, I have a different stand. I'm not waking, waiting for the second coming. Someone will shoot me now. But. I'm waiting for more righteous people to come up. I'm waiting for people who will come into the ark, people who will know Jesus, people who will get saved. That is the heart of God. Can I hear someone shout amen? We are counting disasters every day. One disaster. Oh, look, 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 the moon turned red. And so he's coming next week. Hey, stop looking at the moon. Look at the number of people that are perishing. That's God's heart. And I believe that God built, told Noah to build a big, huge ark because that was God's heart to bring as many people as he could bring into that ark because his heart was to see that city saved. But when only eight came, he said, okay, I'll save the animals. At least I'll save them. Somebody, such a big ark, save at least the animal. People ask me, is there a doggy heaven? They're concerned more about that dog going to heaven than the neighbors going to dogs. Church, wake up. We can't be any more relaxed and casual. The time for being casual is over. We are facing challenges after challenges for one reason, that we will wake up and see the heart of God. Not see a way of escape, but see an opportunity in a moment of crisis. Abraham humbles himself in verse 27, and he says, God, indeed now, I am, I who am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself. He says, I've taken this responsibility to speak to you. What is he doing? He's interceding. He's requesting God on behalf of others. He says, I take it upon myself. I humble myself. I'm only ashes, but I'm asking you. If there were 40 righteous, 45 righteous people, would you destroy Sodom for a lack of five? And the Lord says, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. Then Abraham asked the Lord, what if there were 40 righteous people? And the Lord said to Abraham, if there were 40 righteous people, I will not destroy the city. Then in verse, 20, in verse 30, Abraham, aware of his limitations, says to the Lord, please don't get angry with me. What if there are 30 righteous people? Would you destroy the city? And the Lord said, no. And Abraham went on pleading with the Lord on behalf of the people of Sodom. Can you see his heart? I think he was very different from today's Christians. He's saying, God, 50 does not 50. Wipe them or take me home. 
Let's just come, Lord. I am ready. I'm saved. I'm sanctified. And on my journey home, I've been waiting for you, Lord. Never mind, Lord. These people, they deserve judgment. Do it, Lord. Take me and my home. <laughs> and you don't understand the heart of God, you will never intercede. Why we are going on this 21-day fast? Not to lose weight, my friends. <laughs> Not to lose faith. Say, oh, good opportunity, I can lose weight now, 21 days. You're going on this 21 days because you understand the heart of God. And God's heart is to be long-suffering. To understand that these songs that we sing about a lost sheep is about a lost world, about lost nations, and God is relentless in his love to see a lost nation come back to him. Abraham finally comes down to 10 righteous people. You know, this funny thought was coming through my mind. It's not inspired, but I thought I'd share it with you. At least you produce 10 children and keep them righteous. Maybe there's hope for us in here. Dismiss that thought. If you can't produce, <laughs> draw 10 people to the Lord, just produce 10 and raise them up as righteous people. Something we need to do. Okay, bad idea. Delete. If I were you, I'd choose the first one. And then finally, God destroyed Sodom because he couldn't find even 10 righteous people in that city. Can you imagine the wickedness that there was? You know, from this incident, we understand three things. Three things. God's heart will always be to save people. His heart is always to restore people. His heart is always to demonstrate his love, no matter how wicked and how, how, how backslidden you are. I've shared this with a few people in the ministry team and others. We do conferences and conferences on healing and deliverance. You know what is the one thing that catches my attention? Not the deliverance of a person from a demonic spirit, nor the healing of a body. I'm always impressed when I sit in front of a person who has lived a life of total wickedness. He's done every sin that is probably, uh, uh, you know, you could conceive of. He sits there, and in that 10 minutes or that 15 minutes, he begins to understand that God still loves him, and he cries, and he says, Lord, I receive you. Would you forgive me? And in 10 minutes, God wipes it out and says, you're my son. You're my righteous one. That, for me, is the biggest miracle. In 10 minutes, our destiny can change. In 10 minutes, our life can be transformed. Not because there's any magic in it, because we comprehend there is a God who loves even the unrighteous. John 3, 6, John 3, 17 and verse 18 says, For God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. Can you see God's heart? Not only it says in verse 16, God so loved the world, everyone in the world, he says, 
My son Jesus came to save the world, not condemn the world. The gospel is not a condemning message. It's a message of hope. It's a message of redemption. The second thing we learn from what we just heard about Abraham, the Lord will not destroy the righteous along with the wicked. That's not going to happen. God will never do it. Not in the days of Noah, neither will, uh, did it happen in the days of Abraham. There's no time to read on, but you can go and read it at home how God saved Lot and his family and destroyed Sodom. It's a picture how God will rescue the righteous before he destroys the wicked. The third we learn from this passage is that God is patient and long-suffering. That God will give every person an opportunity to repent and come back to him. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. But God is, what's the word? God is, is there? Yes, is there. God is, let me hear you say it. Loudly, God is, one more time, God is, you know what long-suffering means? Suffering long time. And the Bible says he's suffering lo a long time, being patient and waiting that none will perish, but all will come to repentance. God is long-suffering. That's who he is. That's his character. So in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus not only mentions in the days of Noah, he also mentions what happened in the days of Abraham. Verse 17, verse 28. Likewise, likewise, that means as it happened then, likewise, as it was so in the days of Lot, Abraham's nephew, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. How many of you can identify with that? Wave your hands at me. Hey, happening today, no problem. Nothing wrong with that. Please keep planting and building, especially that one build. You know which one, that one. The house of God, we focus a little bit on that. You know, they did all of those things. But verse 29, on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30, can we all read it together, please? Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed, second coming. So it will be. <clears throat> For many, <clears throat> life will carry on. Business will be as usual till that opportunity comes when God says enough is enough. And this is what the, Jesus predicts in what he's saying in Luke chapter 17. Every man will have an opportunity, but not everyone will know that the end is coming. They will be so caught up preoccupying that they will not know when the end is coming. When people's hearts are hardened, there's no more repentance, there's no more hope for people, that's when ultimately God will destroy people. And I thought to myself, if I see one person saved, that means God is holding back his coming again. Now I know this may not be the good gospel for some righteous people. Never mind, that's the truth. 
As long as we see the salvation, there's hope. God will delay his, the return of his son, Jesus. Look what it says in Jude chapter 1, verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone up to strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. They went about continually living the life of immorality, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The third one, God will take the righteous before he destroys the wicked. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 9. And these are about for five, six chapters. Be patient and read with me uh, quietly. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, look at what it says. God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, talking about Lucifer, fallen angels, Satan, and his demons. That was and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah. Can you see in the New Testament again a reference to Noah? But saved Noah, one of, uh, of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, two incidents, Sodom and Gomorrah, into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example. For who? For you and me, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. But the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Can you see the difference? There's hope for us. There's something that we could look forward but that doesn't make us comfortable to say, I'm being saved and forget the rest. It's in this context that Jesus talks about his second coming. And if you've heard the word rapture, the word rapture is nothing but Jesus rescuing the righteous before the judgment and his punishment comes in the rest of this world. Tune in for a new message next week. To know more, visit us at www.adonaichurch.in.